Thank you so much. It's good to be here. I want to honor uh, Pastor Jeff and also Brian. I really enjoyed getting to know them in um, Israel earlier this year and was equally as blessed uh, just hanging out with both of them and, and, and getting to know them. And um, really excited to be with you guys uh, this morning. I um, love this church already, have just enjoyed uh, meeting a few of you guys, and I just sense the Lord's presence here in this place. He's here with us. And um, if you're here today, you're not here on accident. Uh, as Pastor was saying, you're here on purpose. And I believe that God has something uh, very special and specific for every, every single one of you that came here. And so that's my prayer is that uh, not that you would get something from me, but that the Holy Spirit would speak to you today, that the Holy Spirit would do something special and unique. And I believe that every time that we come in God's presence, we should leave different. There's no way that we can actually encounter the Lord and encounter his presence and leave from that place and stay the same. Amen? Amen. So that's my prayer for just the next few minutes uh, as I'm sharing. I want to introduce you to my family. Um, I have a a picture that I want to show of my family. Not all of them are here. I actually have my oldest son, Landon, is in the back. But uh, I want to show you a picture. My wife, Ellen, is not here. And then we have... uh, 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 Landon, on top of me is Josiah, and then the baby my wife is holding, her name is Glory. And that's right, Glory is her name. Uh, and so we're, we're, um, we live in Columbus, Georgia, and uh, we actually, this is the neighborhood uh, that we live in. My wife and I, we lead a ministry called Take the City, and uh, one of the initiatives uh, that our ministry has is, is an initiative called Project Lifehouse, and over the last three years... The Lord's given us 28 houses in the inner city all over Columbus, Georgia. Most of them were abandoned or like crack houses. And the first one that was donated, uh, we renovated. And actually, my family moved out of a 4,000-square-foot home that we were living in into a 1,000-square-foot home in an area uh, of a lot of need in our city. And uh, when we moved into this area, we were just gripped with the heart of the Lord for uh, the people and the families. And uh, in fact, I'm excited because Tech, I met him when he was like 12 or 13. He's now 15 years old. I actually met him where we're standing right there. Uh, and he's actually with me right now. So he's traveling with us the next couple of days. He's one of the kids that, that lives in, in that neighborhood. And that's a little bit about us and, and what we do. Um, we have a, a ministry that's based in Columbus, Georgia called Take the City. And uh, one of the things that we have an opportunity to do, in addition to what we're doing in our, in our city there, is we also travel and go into different uh, cities and regions, and we partner with local churches. And the primary vision is we want to help equip everyday believers uh, to share their faith and to make disciples who make disciples, and that's, that's like what we've given our life for. Um, we just believe that God has given us uh, a mandate to equip the saints for the works of ministry. And so we believe that, that God not only wants to use the pastors and the, the musicians and the singers and the people that sort of help, you know, lead at the church, but also that God wants to use every single one of you. If you're in the building today, God wants to use you in a powerful way. And so what we've really given our lives to is not only to, you know, serving in the area where we live and serving in our city, we've also given our lives to to really, we want to help equip and train the body of Christ uh, to begin to step into their missional calling. And so today, I'm going to be sharing a little bit about that. Tonight, that's going to be my primary focus. And so we're going to be doing like a workshop tonight. It's not going to be like a church service. It's going to be a little bit more like a workshop or a training. And so uh, if you come tonight, we're going to put you to work. So you're not just going to show up and kind of listen to something for three hours we're actually going to do a bunch of activities. It's going to be a lot of fun, and, uh, and I believe that God's going to do something uh, just so special in, in each and every one of your lives. If you're able to make it, definitely, definitely come and join us. Amen? I want to share uh, just a little testimony from this morning. So we, uh, we went to uh, the hotel last night. We're staying not far from here, and I woke up this morning and um, got up and was just having my quiet time, and, and uh we ended up going to breakfast all at the same time. And so we're sitting there having breakfast, and there's a girl named Alexis who is the, the waitress at this hotel. And at this hotel, you had to, like, you know, have a waitress, like, serving you and stuff. And so um, she's serving us, and she brings us food a couple times. 
And uh, she comes over, and I just couldn't help myself. Like, every time she would come over, I just sensed, like, God's love for her and his delight for her and his plan for her. And, and I just kept hearing the word in my mind, fresh start, new season, fresh start, new season. And so finally, like, I was like, I, I couldn't uh, just hold it in. So, you know, and this is like 7 o'clock in the morning. This is not, you know, later in the day. So this is like bright and early. And, but I was just like, man, I need to share this with her. And so I looked at her and I said, hey, I, I want to share something with you. She's like, okay. And I said, I just feel like God says that you're entering into a new season. And I, I, just, see, uh, I just see in your life kind of like, you know, when, when the winter uh, begins to pass and the spring begins to come and the flowers begin to bloom, I feel like the Lord's just saying that, he's, that there's this like blooming, there's this new season that you're stepping into. As soon as I, as soon as I say that, she loses control and just starts weeping right there at our table. She can't contain herself. Literally, we start having given her napkins, and she's just sobbing. And I continued to just prophesy over her that God was bringing her into a new season and that God's love for her was so contagious. He was so radically in love with her. And she's so moved. She says, can I give you a hug? Again, like sobbing. And so I get up from the table, and I literally give her like a, like a bear hug. I'm like, you know, I squeeze her, and I'm just like, the father loves you so much. And she just like, she's just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And I sit down and Jonathan, uh, who's with me, he works with our ministry. He just looks at her and uh, he had had a word earlier that morning that he felt like he was going to share with someone that day. And he realized that it was for her. And he said, he said, um, are you married? And she's like, yeah. And he said, I feel like the Lord is, I feel like the Lord says that, that, uh, that you've been trying to have kids and you haven't been able to, and I feel like the Lord says he's going to give you kids, and then she just totally loses it, and she's like, we've been trying to have kids for a year, and I'm like, I'm like, whoa, you know, this is crazy, and she, Alexis is just, you know, the Holy Spirit just falls on her, and we're able to minister to her, and, and we're able to bless her, and we find out, you know, her dad's in federal prison, and she's been in and out of trouble, and she's just been through so much, uh, but God sent us there this morning, I believe, specifically for her. You guys know that everywhere you go, there's divine appointments just like that that are literally waiting for you. And I, I love that, that Pastor Jeff said, I'm not an extrovert, because I want you guys to know that. Actually, if you ask my wife, I am extremely introverted. I don't like small talk. I don't like meeting new people all the time. Like, I want to be alone in a room, you know, a lot of the time. But God, uh, God has you know, really given me a burden in spite of my introversion to get it outside of myself, to get over myself, and to partner with the Holy Spirit to see lives touched and to see lives transformed. And I just believe that that's what God wants to begin to call us into as the body of Christ. He wants to call us into our missional calling. He wants, he wants us to begin to step into that which we were created for. And I believe that, that God wants to call each and every one of you into that. And I think there's so many, uh, so many of you maybe that even you hear what I'm saying and you're like, yeah, but not me. If you knew what I'm going through, if you knew what my family's dealing with, if you know what I'm dealing with, if you know what I did, it, God can't use me. And here's just what I want to say to you. God can use anyone. If he can use me, he can use you. You know, he, he is looking to use even, even the least of us, just the people that you would never expect. He wants to use you to transform the world. And he's chosen you, and he's called you out of darkness into the light. Amen? I want to read a couple scriptures. We're going to dive into a few uh, passages today, and I'm going to talk about those scriptures. And so I'm actually going to uh, teach a lot from uh, just kind of more uh, verse by verse for, for just a little bit. And I want to share a little bit of my story. And, um, and yeah, we'll see where the Lord leads us. The first scripture that I want to read is out of Ephesians chapter 1. So if you guys will turn to Ephesians chapter 1, um, we're going to read probably the first uh, half of that, uh, that chapter. And we'll, we'll dive into that scripture. So if you guys want to pull Ephesians chapter 1 up on the, the screens too for, for people if they need to look on the screens, they can, they can do that as well. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I immediately thought of this scripture when Pastor Jeff was talking about, you know, untucking your shirt and getting ready for, you know, the money that was falling down. And not that literally God would rain money down upon you. But when he was talking about that, when we posture ourselves to come together in God's presence, it says right here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, that, the, that God the Father, through Jesus Christ, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, which is almost exactly what you were talking about, is this reality of something from heaven raining down upon us when we come together. It's an amazing reality that we live in, in Christ, that we have every spiritual blessing available to us. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Do you know that you were chosen by God? That you, you're not like, I, I don't know if you guys have, have, have ever, uh, you know, felt like you were the last pick, you know, you're not the last pick. Like if you were ever out on a, on a kickball field, you know, and you were the last person and it was kind of like, you knew you were chosen, but you weren't really chosen. Like basically they just had to put up with you because you were standing out there, right? That's not you. Like no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through even right now, you're not that kid on the field. You know who you are? You're one that, that not just at the end, he began to think, okay, I'll, I'll put up with you. No, it says from the foundation of the world, from the foundation of the world, God had his eyes on you. God has had his eyes on you. And he had his eyes on you, not just so that you could just merely exist, but that you could live a life that would be holy and blameless before him. It goes on, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. He predestined each and every one of us to be adopted as sons, to be brought in to our inheritance and what we were created for. And the reality is that when we were living in our sin and our trespasses, we weren't living as sons. We weren't living out of our God-given identity. We were living as orphans. And as orphans, we were clamoring, trying to grab anything we could to try to give us a sense of satisfaction and worth. But no matter how much we did, we never felt like it was enough. I don't know if you can relate to to what I was just saying. But when we were living in our trespasses and sins, we were clamoring, fighting to try to find something to fill the void in our lives. We were living as orphans in the world without hope, without God, full of shame, full of sin. But then in Christ... We were forgiven of our sins, and we received the Holy Spirit by which we cry out, Abba, Father, and we received adoption as sons and daughters. And no longer are we orphans, but we enter into this identity that God made us for to live as sons and daughters. You know, I I struggled with addiction to heroin and crack cocaine until I was 21 years old. I grew up in a middle-class family in North Atlanta. And when I was 15 years old, one of my friends, he brought some prescription painkillers from, he stole from his dad, he brought it to high school, and he gave me some of those drugs when I was 15 years old, and I had already experimented with other drugs. But when I first, dis, when I first tried those prescription painkillers, you know what the first thought in my mind was? I never want to stop feeling this way. I was convinced that what I experienced for that two or three hours was everything I was looking for. And here's what it gave me temporarily, and it was an illusion. It gave me confidence. It gave me peace. It made me feel okay with myself. It made me feel okay with being around you. It just made me feel like life was going to be okay. It made me feel satisfied. It made me feel like I had enough. Now, I was living as an orphan in my sin at that time in my life, but the drugs, it gave me an illusion that suddenly I was going to be okay, but it was an illusion. And for six years, I pursued that high I became addicted to to opioid uh, prescription painkillers immediately, and for the next six years, I pursued that high until finally, when I was 21 years old, I ended up, you know, really hitting rock bottom, and basically, the the place where I ended up was I uh, I ended up losing uh, my uh, everything. So I was in college, dropped out of college, I had an apartment, lost my apartment, I had a car, I lost my car, you know. I lost everything, and eventually at the end, I wound up homeless in Atlanta, living out of a bag that I still actually use to travel around the world with. To to this day, I still use that bag. But I lived out of that bag, and I literally wanted to kill myself every waking moment. I hated myself. I hated my life. 
Why? Because what I thought was going to bring me satisfaction as an orphan, it was an illusion. And it just drove me deeper and deeper and deeper into that orphan mentality and that mentality that I was never going to have enough, that I was never going to be enough. But thankfully, my story doesn't stop there because my dad ended up coming and finding me in the inner city. He got me out of uh, the neighborhood uh, that I was in, and I ended up going to a teen challenge program in 2009. While I was in the program, I hated the program. I hated singing Christian songs. I didn't want to be a Christian. I didn't want anything to do with them. I was so irritated every single day. I was coming off drugs. In fact, for almost two weeks, I don't think I slept more than maybe an hour a night. My body was literally going through such bad withdrawals, I couldn't sleep. And uh, all they would let me read was like the Bible and a book called The Cross and the Switchblade. So (laughs) I read those over and over and over again all night. And, uh, And like... I had to read it in the bathroom. They were like, you can't, you can't, anyways, I'm not going to go there. But it was bad. Like, I, I couldn't sleep. And I was in torment and anguish. And I remember these guys in the program, they decided they were leaving. And I was like, I'm going with you. And mind you, I want you to understand, me leaving that program meant basically I was giving up on life. Number one, my oldest son, Landon, who's here, he was two years old at the time. And I had gotten a letter my first week in the program that they were terminating my rights as a father. Under the condition of me staying in the program, I could have maintained rights with them. But had I left that program, I would have signed the notice that I would never have any uh, conversation or influence on his life until he was 18 years old. So for me, leaving that night was like, okay, I'm not going to have a relationship with my son. Also, I had uh, felony warrants on my life for drug charges, not only from Atlanta, but I also had DEA and other things that were coming after me for bringing drugs into the country, okay? So I had all of these things that were happening to me simultaneously, like letters were coming every day, and these were really bad letters you don't want to be receiving, okay? And they kept coming. And I decided, you know what? Forget this. I'm leaving. And I found three other guys that were planning to leave, and uh, they had this plan, and it sounded really good, and I was like, I'm going to go. And I didn't care what it cost me. I just couldn't stay in that program. And the night before I left, this guy, he came up to me. He was an intern named Juan. He was covered in tattoos. He had been a part of, like, this cartel that would, like, traffic people and drugs across America. And anyways, he got saved and worked for Teen Challenge. And he could have, like, beat me up in a second. You know, it was, like, this really tough guy named Juan. And he comes up to me, and it was like the Holy Spirit told on me. I was being quiet. I wasn't trying to like, you know, I was just kind of just minding my own business. I was sweeping, doing some chores. And it's like the Holy Spirit told on me. He comes up to me. He's like, bro, what's going on? Like something was going on. I was like, nothing's going on. He's like, no, tell me what's going on. And I was like, did someone tell him like I'm leaving? You know, because he's not about to talk me out of this. Like I was like, nothing. He's like, bro, tell me what's going on. And I was like, Stop putting your finger in my face. You know, like, what do you mean? And, and um, I wouldn't say anything. And so Juan just steps back and he looks at me and he starts to prophesy over my life. And now at the time, I didn't know what prophecy was. I never heard of that. But he looks at me, he steps back and he just starts prophesying. And as soon as he starts prophesying over my life, he starts saying, like, everything I'm doing right now, he started telling me, okay? And I hated Jesus. I hated Christians at the moment. But he's telling me this, and as soon as he starts telling me this, you know what starts happening to me? I start weeping uncontrollably. The love of God, literally like a blanket, just came upon me. As he started to share, he started to declare these things over my life. I'm telling you, I had no idea what he was talking about. It didn't even make sense at the moment. But everything he said, it spoke to something within me that started to come to life when he started to talk to me. And what happened is, is something awakened inside of me that had been there my whole life. I mean, I grew up in a Christian family. I grew up, my grandmother, you know, taught me John 3.16 when I was like four years old. So like it was there, but when he began to prophesy in my life, something started to come awake inside of me. And I just lost it. And I looked at him and I'm like, what is happening to me? And he just said, bro, God loves you so much. And I literally got on my knees like this outside. And I just said, I'm going to stop fighting what you're trying to do in my life. And the reality is that I knew that God had a plan for me. I knew that God was pursuing me. I knew it the whole time, even in my addiction. 
But I never wanted to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I wanted to be the boss. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to keep whatever idols in my life I had. I didn't want to forsake those things. If Jesus wanted to come in my life and be a good luck charm and make my life better while I maintained all the other idols, sure, come on in, Jesus. But the reality is I was unwilling to make Jesus the absolute Lord of my life. I was unwilling to surrender. But it was with the encounter of the love of God where I actually bowed my knee, literally. And it was in that moment I made a decision that I was going to bow to him, that I was going to surrender. You know, the Bible says that every knee will bow. You know that one day, every creature, every human will one day bow their knee to Jesus Christ. And his desire is not that you would have to wait until that day, which for some, that day will be a day of judgment and eternal condemnation. The Bible says that, that there will be a great white throne judgment and that multitudes of people will be thrown into a lake of fire. And I believe it's on that day they'll bow to him. But the reality is that's not God's will. God's will is that every single one of us would bow to him in this life now. And there's an illusion within the church that Jesus can be your savior, but not your Lord. And that's not the truth of the gospel. Jesus doesn't want to just be your savior. He was crucified on the cross to forgive you of your sins. But here's what he demands of you, that you make him the Lord. He came not only as a lamb, but he came as a conquering king. And if you don't submit to his rule and reign and make him the Lord of your life, he's not actually your boss, and he's not actually your savior. I'm not saying you have to work to earn your salvation, but you do have to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And what changed for me that day is I had heard the gospel over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, like my grandma, four four years old. For God so loved the world. You know, I knew the Bible verses, right? But what was I unwilling to do? Submit to the rule and reign of Jesus in my life. Why? Because I didn't trust that Jesus was going to take care of the needs that I felt in my life. You know what I didn't think? I didn't think that Jesus would satisfy the deep longings inside of me. I thought he might make my life a little better, kind of like a, like a genie in a bottle, and I could rub him, you know, like every now and then, like give me something nice. But here's what I didn't know, is that Jesus could actually satisfy every fiber inside of me fulfill every longing that I've ever had and give me a life of fullness and hope and joy and peace if I would only just surrender everything to him. Amen. And so when I made that decision to fully surrender, you know what happened? My life was radically transformed because I began to step into what what we're reading in Ephesians chapter one. I want to keep reading. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There's a phrase that Paul uses twice in that last section. He says, to the praise of whose glory? His glory. You know, there's, there's a reality that we step into when we come to Christ that our lives stop being about us and our glory and what we want But when we submit to the Lord and we come into our our true God-given identity as sons and daughters, you know what happens? Suddenly our lives start to demonstrate the very glory of God. You know that you exist to reflect the glory of God in the earth? God actually made you to be an image bearer. Do you know what that means? So at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, it says that he made man in his image. What does that mean? The word image in Hebrew, it means like an exact replica, a, a kind of like a phantom of, of something that already exists, like a, uh, like a hologram. I don't know. 
holograms didn't exist back then. But it, essentially, th- that word in the Hebrew, it means like a, like a replica of something that already existed. In fact, the only time it's used really later in the scripture are idols, which were pictures of a, a replica of what they believed to be a god. You know, we were created to actually reflect the glory of God. It says to the praise of his glory. He adopted you. He's adopted us as sons and daughters, not for our own glory, but for his glory in the earth. And here's the reality is that when we fell into our sin as humanity, we were hindered from living the way that God preordained us to live, which was to be image bearers and reflectors of the glory of God. But in Christ, we are restored back into what we were made for. And I want to look back a few verses up. Let's look at a few verses up, and then we'll be done with, the, with this passage uh, specifically. We're going to go back up to verse number 7. So Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood. Who are we talking about? Jesus. We're talking about Jesus' blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Amen? How many of you guys are thankful for the blood of Jesus? So this passage right here, this little section, Paul says this, in him we have redemption through his blood. Now what does redemption mean? What does forgiveness mean? After that, so he says in him we have redemption through his blood, and then right after that he says we also have the forgiveness of our trespasses or sins by the riches of his grace with which he has lavished upon us, right? Revealing his will, his destiny. So it goes on to say that. But he he says two things. He says, one, that we've been redeemed by the blood, and number two, that we've been forgiven by his grace, okay? Now, those two words, they're similar, and if if you're in church a bunch, you may actually think that they mean the same thing, but they don't. So redemption, it means this. If I were to go to a pawn shop and I took my Apple Watch and I said, here, guys, I need to pawn this to you guys. I'm going to come back in a couple weeks when I get paid, and I'm going to get it back. And they said, here's $200. Come back. So I leave with $200, and they, they say, you got to bring us $250 if you want it back. So I come back a couple weeks later. If I don't give them that money, I will never see my Apple Watch again. Okay? They'll sell it on eBay, or they'll sell it their their shop. I don't know if you guys have ever been to a pawn shop. but I <laughs> Raise your hand. No, just kidding. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, I was there last night. No, <laughs> I know what this guy's talking about. But that, that watch, it was created, or it, it, it's supposed to be mine, but it can't serve the purpose for which I want it to serve if it's not in my possession. So right now, I'm checking the time. If I had my phone up here, I could, like, take a picture with my Apple Watch. It's really cool. I could text my wife right now. You know, there's all these cool things I can do with this. But if I pawn my watch off until I regain possession of it, it's not able to serve its purpose. But if I go back and I buy that watch back, suddenly it's, it's, it's invited back into its original purpose because now the original owner, I have it, and I can utilize it. It's not just sitting in a pawn shop. Now it's able to be utilized. There's a purpose behind it, okay? So when I take that pawn shop and I give them money, I'm paying for the redemption of my Apple Watch. You guys understand? Okay? So when Jesus came to the earth, there was a price tag on all of humanity's head. There was a price tag that we carry around with us, all humans. The Bible says that every single person has fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, We're not living as image bearers. We're not displaying the glory of God like we were supposed to. And we'd fallen short of that. We'd fell into our sins. We went our own ways. And we were missing out from our God-given intended purpose. And because of our sin, we deserve death, okay? The, The Bible says that for the wages of our sin is death. In other words, the price for our redemption, the price for us to be bought back, was that someone had to die. And ultimately, we deserve to die, but when Jesus came, he willingly, he wasn't forced to death, he willingly gave up his life, and when he shed his blood, the Bible says that the life is in the blood, and when he shed that blood, he was literally giving up his life source as a payment 
for us to be bought back and brought back into who we were created to be. Isn't that good? When he paid with his blood, when his blood was shed upon the cross, I want you to just think about that right now for a minute and just with a heart of gratitude. When that blood was shed, he bought us back. He paid the price for us to come back into who we were created for. And in the same way, when I go to the pawn shop and I get my Apple Watch back and then I put it on and now I'm able to utilize it, here's the amazing thing is there's nothing worse than, to me than being totally useless. Having no purpose is, is a miserable existence. But there's nothing more exciting than having purpose and having value. Amen? When I put this watch back on, suddenly what does it have again? It has purpose. It has value. It has, it has something that it can do. Here's what happened. When Jesus paid with his blood for you to be redeemed, he's also inviting you back into what you were created for. Amen? You've been bought back. Let's look at John chapter 4. And this is the last passage we're going to look at this morning. You guys will be familiar with this story. I'm going to read it uh, in portion. And um, if you're not familiar with the story, I would encourage you to go back and read it later. I'm going to start in uh, 4-7. Before I read, I'll give you just a little bit of a preface. So Jesus is leaving Judea, and he's going back up into Galilee. And along the way, he stops in this city called Sychar in the area of Samaria. In verse 7, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and and as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus says, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you're right. I have no husband for you've had five husbands and the one you're now with is not your husband. What you said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem in the place where you ought to worship. And Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. When neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming. And it's now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, I'm he. That's a really big deal that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the, and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and they were coming to him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to each other, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Amen. That was a long passage. But here's here's the amazing thing that I want to point out. I was just saying that we've been redeemed. That means we've been bought back and now that we've been bought back, we can be restored back into what we were created for. And here's what you were created for. You were created for two things. You were created, one, to abide and live in the presence of God, to commune with him, to connect with him. And apart from the reality of connection to God, you're dead. On the inside, you're dead. 
because connection to God through intimacy and relationship is the only source of true life. It's the only thing that will bring vibrancy and life. And in fact, it's, it's what leads to eternal life. The Bible says that eternal life is this. It's knowing Jesus. It's not some far off distant thing that's going to happen to you in the future. Eternal life is right now. It's communion with God through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And having that communion, it equals eternal life, having that right now. But you were not only created for communion with God and to abide in the presence. The second thing that you were made for is this. So one is communion. Number two is to have purpose. You were created. I was created not just to exist walking around singing, you know, worship songs to God just like all day. Like, thank you, Jesus. I love you. But also, we were created in, in the midst of worship to actually live out purpose and destiny in our lives, which is to bring his kingdom into the earth. And the reality is, is Jesus makes both of these very, very clear in John chapter 4. I'm going to point to that. But before I point to that, I, w- I want to point all the way back to Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4. And in that time, you see Adam and Eve, and they were walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day. And it says that they had access to all of the fruit of the garden, that they could eat of everything except one tree they weren't supposed to eat. And basically, their existence was in, in the full presence of God. They literally lived in the glory of God. Now, what's the glory of God? The glory is the actual manifested presence of God. If his glory was here right now, we would not be listening to Andrew Chalmers speak. We would, like, if his glory was here, we would literally all be on our faces, probably weeping uncontrollably, shaking. I don't know what would be happening to us, but our bodies like in the glory, it's like his, he's so powerful. He's so beautiful. He's so magnificent. And they actually existed in the glory of God 24-7 in the garden. And that's the way that we were created to live is in that glory, in that presence of God. Amen? But the Bible also says in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 that Adam and Eve had a commission from the beginning. And their commission was this, to be fruitful. Amen? Married couples. Amen? Be fruitful and multiply subdue the earth subdue the earth they were given a commission the great commission didn't start in matthew 28 the great commission started with the first adam but we fell the great commission was this multiply be fruitful and subdue the earth what god wanted them to do was take the reality of that small garden on the earth and literally populate the garden populate humanity, image bearers, glory of God covering the earth as the water covers the sea. The glory of God covering the earth as the water covers the sea. That's been the plan from the beginning. In fact, if you look back at Ephesians chapter 1, where we're just reading in verse 10, it says the revealed mystery of God's will is this, to unite all things in Christ in heaven and on earth. You know, from the very beginning of time, God's plan has always been to unite heaven and earth. It's always been to bring heaven to earth. And you know what's crazy is God didn't just do it himself. He actually made us to do it. He created us to subdue the earth and multiply it and and to do this kingdom work from the beginning. But we all know what happens. They fall, and then the story of redemption begins. And eventually Jesus comes, and when Jesus redeems us and he shed his blood, again, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, he shed his blood on the cross, He bought us back. Why did he buy us back? Did he just buy us back so we can get a ticket to heaven? No, that's not the only reason why. He bought us back to restore us to what we were made for and what we were made for. We were made for presence and we were made for purpose. And when we start to abide in the presence of God and engage with the purpose and plans of God, you know what happens? We are launched into our destinies. Presence plus purpose equals destiny. If you want to step into your God-given destiny, you have to get both of those things functioning in your life, where you're abiding in the presence of God and you're engaging with the purposes of God. Now, let's look back at John chapter 4, and I'm going, to, I'm going to tie all this together, hopefully, in Jesus' name. There's two pictures, there's two things that are needed to sustain human life that Jesus brings up in this passage? Can anyone tell me one of the two? Water, okay? There's another thing that's necessary for human life. 
bread, right? Food, okay? So, remember, I said presence, abiding, communion with God, and I said purpose, mission, authority, subduing the earth, and multiplying. Those are the two reasons why we were made. Those, that's why God created us. When Jesus in John chapter 4, when he brings up the water and when he brings up the food, he's pointing to both of those realities of what we were created for. And he's actually, it's, it's like a teaching moment. Number one, what does he first bring up? Water. And what does he say? He has the living water and you'll never be thirsty again if you come to him. What does that mean? That means you will be satisfied if you come to Jesus. Why? Because you're returning back to your God-given created purpose, which is, first of all, starting with the presence. It, first of all, starts with communion with God. And maybe some of you, you come in here today, and you feel like you're so far away from God. You don't have a relationship with God. Here's the amazing thing is you're not a million light years away from God. You're one step away from returning back into what you were created for. And here's all you have to do. The Bible says, if you'll believe in your heart, that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, that he's the Lord, that he's God. If you believe that in your heart and you confess with your mouth that he's the boss, not you anymore, that he's the Lord, here's what happens. The Bible says that you will be born again. And when you're born again, the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of you. And suddenly communion with God is possible in a way that you've never dreamed, you've never imagined. And if you say today, you know what, I don't really have that connection. Here's what God wants for you. He wants that connection. He made you for that connection. And if you need to get right with God today, I would encourage you to come to the Lord and to repent of your sin, turn from your sin, receive forgiveness, and receive that that abiding relationship that you were created for. Amen? Amen. Number one is living water. That represents the fact that we were made to live in communion with God. You know, you'll never be satisfied no matter how much money you make. You know, your marriage will never, ever satisfy you, no matter how much vacation and counseling you go to. It's never going to reach a point where it's like, oh, I finally feel like it's really filling me. Like, this is a great relationship. You know what? You're never going to be fully satisfied in your spouse. You know why? Because God actually put something in you that they will never even come close to scratching that itch. They won't even come close. That's not a sad thing. It's an invitation. You know, we look to so many things in this world to satisfy us, even as Christians. Right now, I mean, I, the number of people in here, my guess is that many of you are probably not looking to the Lord to satisfy your every need. Many of you are probably looking to other things right now to fulfill you. And you're living in like this junk food reality illusion that you think it's filling you, but you just keep wanting more and more and more of it, and it's not filling you. It's feeding your fleshly carnal desires. But the Bible says that you can repent of those idols and you can fully surrender to Jesus Christ. You know what I'll do? He'll fulfill you and satisfy you in a way that you've never dreamed. Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you living water and you'll never thirst again. How many of you guys don't want to be thirsty again? I don't want to be thirsty again. I want to be satisfied in every moment, no matter the crisis, no matter the pain, no matter rejection, no matter success, no matter what I'm going through, I want to abide in such communion with the Father that I can literally be satisfied no matter what I'm facing, no matter what the doctor says, no matter what my family's going through. You know that we can actually live satisfied no matter what we're facing? We can be connected to the vine 24-7, filled with that eternal life. Not saying you're always going to be super happy, but you can have contentment. We can have contentment in Christ. This is an amazing reality, guys. But we've got to let go of the idols that we look to, and we have to, as Pastor said, it's crazy. A lot of things you said I wanted to share on today. We have to, uh, Revelation chapter 2, we have to turn back to the things we did at first and let Jesus become our first love again. What that means is he literally has the first place in our lives. Does Jesus Christ have the first place in your life? Because if he doesn't, you're looking to other lovers to satisfy your longings. And here's what I can promise you. From experience, having pursued many, many, many lovers in this world, many things that are, I thought were going to fulfill me. Here's what I can promise you. You'll never be satisfied. 
But I can also testify, as many others in the room, that if you will taste and see that he's good, he'll satisfy you at the deepest core of who you are. I'm speaking to some people right now. The Lord is challenging you about some things that you need to turn from and you need to give your life and your heart wholly to him, not out of religious obligation, but out of literal desperation to be satisfied because you start to understand that these things are not going to fulfill you. Only him. Only him. Living water. The second thing that he says is what? Food. The second thing that he mentions, he says, my food is to do the will of my father who sent me. The food is connected actually to action. You know, eating the food of the will of the father, it means you actually have to step into your God-given destiny and purpose. You know, there's something so satisfying about being useful in God's kingdom, having a job in God's kingdom being resourceful in God's kingdom, making a difference in God's kingdom. There's something satisfying. How many of you guys have, have experienced that where you've, where you've been used by the Lord and you felt so satisfied after that? Raise your hand. You know what I love? I love seeing mission teams when they get back from mission trips. You see the most jaded like Christians that don't really care about the Lord and you send them like to Nicaragua for a week and they go there and they do missions and they like see people getting saved and healed and set free, right? And they come back and you put them up at the front of the church and they are like a different person. I don't know if you had that experience yourself. I see it all the time at churches. The mission team comes up and you look at that one guy and you're like, what happened to that guy? He is not the same guy. You know what happened? He tasted of the food of doing the will of the Father. He finally got in the game and he realized he was made not just to come to church and worship and read the Bible and go to Bible study, but he was actually made to get in the game and do the stuff that Jesus did. And when he got out there on that mission trip, he started actually tasting of food. You know, many people in the body of Christ have never even tasted the will, tasted the food of doing the will of the Father. They're sideline Christians where they're abiding in relationship with him, but they are not in the game. You know what that's called? Boring Christianity. (laughs) To me, that sounds horribly boring. (laughs) Why? Because I want to get in the game. I want to do the stuff that Jesus did. And here's what happens is once you taste the food of doing the will of the Father, it will ruin you for any other way of life. As Brian was sharing, we got to get the basket off our head. You want to get the basket off your head? Start tasting the food of doing the will of the Father. Start prophesying over people in public places. Start sharing the gospel. Start healing the sick. Start ministering to people and leading people to Christ. Start doing the things that Jesus did in the scriptures and his disciples did. You know what happens? You'll step into a level of satisfaction and fulfillment that you've never had in your whole life. Start to eat the food of doing the will of the Father, and he will make you addicted to it. You won't want anything else but that food. You guys hear what I'm saying? You know why we love Facebook? You know why we love Facebook? Because we can post pictures and make everyone else think that we're doing something important with our lives. Why do we like that? Because we want our lives to be important. Now, importance signifies that there is a value that we bring that otherwise would not be there unless we were there. We want that our lives matter. So we love to post pictures of what we're doing. Why? Because we want other people to know that our lives matter, that they're important, that we do cool stuff, that we're on vacation and we have a great job or whatever. Because we have been given a desire in our hearts for significance. You guys know that every single one of you has a desire in your heart for significance. Now, some of you might be jaded because you've been let down over and over and over again. But even those who are the most jaded, you still have a desire in your heart to be significant, to be used, to have purpose. And here's what I want to encourage you. You do have purpose. God does have a plan for your life. And it may not look like me. It may not look like, you know, whatever I do, it may look like partnering with this school outreach and starting to see the kingdom of God break in at a school. It might be partnering and helping foster care. It might be bringing the kingdom of God to a high school, or it might be serving the elderly at the you know, retirement facility down the street or whatever. It doesn't have to look like what my life looks like, but here's what Jesus said. He said, my food is to do the will of the father who sent me. What's God calling you to do? 
What does it look like for you to get in the game? You know your job will not satisfy your desire for significance. Even if you climb up a corporate ladder, it's not enough. Why do you think suicide and depression is so prevalent in the people that are the most famous in our world? Why is it so prevalent? Why? Because they climb a ladder hoping that if they feel significant and important enough that someday it'll fill something inside of them, but the reality is none of that will satisfy them until they step into their God-given destiny, which is what? To subdue the earth, to bring his kingdom, to preach the gospel, to see healing come to those that need healing, to see deliverance come to those that need deliverance. God wants to use you guys in a powerful way. You guys understand? Does this speak into you? Is this challenging you? Because I'm an evangelist. I'm supposed to challenge the church, not just the, if you leave uncomfortable, good. That's my job. I love you, but I really feel like the, 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 this word, I mean, this is not a, um, necessarily a word I would always share at a church, but, but I really felt like it was a word to stir you guys up. And here's what I pray is, even if what I'm saying went over your head slightly, I pray that everything I said, because I was speaking straight from the scripture, pray that that would mess with your heart. And here's what I pray, that the Lord would create a, a hunger inside of you for more. That you would be desperate for more of his presence. To seek him like you've never sought him before. And that you would say, God, I want to I eat the bread of doing the will of the Father. I can't just coast through life. I want purpose. I want significance. And I want to live not in my own self-made significance. I want to live doing the will of the Father who sent me. Amen. You guys stand up. Let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you so much for Maranatha and even what this church stands for and the light that this place is in Jacksonville and even beyond. Father, I know that you're using this church But God, I sense your desire to use this church at a whole new level. I just sense an invitation from the Holy Spirit this morning to this church, this congregation, to go to a whole new level of of loving you and loving their community, Father. And we we just come to you, God, and we just say, Lord, we want more of you. And we want to be used of you, God. We want your peace and your presence to fill our hearts. We want your love to compel us and drive us, Lord, to bring your kingdom everywhere we go. Lord, I pray a blessing over this church. I pray right now, God, that you would put a fresh fire in people's hearts. Lord, to get in the word, to seek your face, God, to pray, to share your good news. You're able to do it, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. Just keep your eyes closed right now. I just want to give op- opportunity for people to respond this morning. But today if you